came out of unexplained phenomenon after the world. But the same people say, what the heck's going on? Let me tell ya. Who built the pyramid? Who built Stonehenge? Yeah, maybe see guys walking down the street, pushing shopping carts. And they think they're talking to Allah. They're talking to themselves. Man, no, they're talking to Elvis. 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 You know what's going on? That Bermuda Triangle. Down in the Bermuda Triangle. Elvis needs folks. Elvis needs folks. Elvis, 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 Elvis needs folks. Ah, the sailing Elvis. Captain Elvis. Yeah, man, you know, people from outer space, people from outer space, they come up to me, they don't look like Dr. Spock, they don't look like Klingons, all that Star Trek job, they look like Elvis, Elvis, everybody in outer space looks like Elvis, because Elvis is a perfect being, we're all moving in perfect peace and harmony towards Elvis, soon all will become Elvis, everything, everywhere will be Elvis, what do you think they call it evolution anyway? Welcome to the Agency Podcast, the All Toronto Edition. The All Toronto Edition. This is Candy here in the same room sitting next to Eugene. I'm on the right. I'm on the left, but to you, the other way around. Exactly. <laughs> How are you doing today? Well, I'm doing good. It's it's uh, good to have you here. In, it's in, great uh, to be here. Toronto. Great to be here. we got a nice huge pot of tea. We do. Cheers. Chars. Cheers. Chars. There we go. Mm. delicious it's an incredible day incredible weather i've had the best weather since being in canada away from all the heat wave in the states it's very nice a delicious 17 celsius to 25 celsius just the way i think summer should be yeah yeah uh, i've been in toronto since we last spoke where was i before i was in halliburton yes. northern northern ontario so uh, near north but now near i'm north. in toronto for the last few days uh, i've been doing things like i went to the trampoline park I went to Christy Pitt's pool to swim. I went to my favorite restaurant in Toronto, Sneaky D's. Had a huge plate of... Is Sneaky D's closing? It's always closing. Okay. It's always closing, but I hope it never closes. Best restaurant, best nachos in the world. And I would stand on Mexico's coffee table and shout that out. (laughs) (laughs) That's true. That's not... It's very different than my neighborhood of Mexican cooks in... Well, yeah, for sure. In Chicago, for sure. But they are damn fine. You know, back in the day, we uh, we misspent our early adulthood in Sneaky D's, Yes, I we think. did. Yes, we did. And I remember the staff there. They don't remember me anymore, but uh, I remember them. I even remember the old Sneaky D's when it was on On Bloor, Bloor Street. Street. Me too, and in the basement. Yeah. I know. I was trying to tell uh, tell a family that, that it used to be at Bloor and Bathurst. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, that was a great location. They had, they had a lot of good music there, too. But, yep, used to go there. Thank God, best restaurant, best place. We used to go in the in the eighties. We would go on Saturday afternoons <laughs> for the Jughead matinee. That's right. Good show. Dangerous times, dangerous musicians. <laughs> 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 
Yeah, Jughead every Saturday afternoon. I, I, as soon as I walk in, I kind of feel like I'm back in those days because it hasn't changed at all. Just slightly more graffiti on top of the other graffiti, slightly. Yeah, I think it's because that corner hasn't changed a whole lot. Mm. There was, I think, the northwest corner of College in Bathurst. There's a condo right. that was built around a church, but that yeah. was like 20 years ago yeah. now. And I think they still have bands upstairs. That's Sneaky D's, yeah. I think so, yeah. So that really helps a place stay going if you have live music. Well, yeah, I, I mean, live music is something which, in my wild years, was everywhere, <laughs> yeah. I, I think. Um, really, around the time Handsome Ned was happening uh, in the 80s in Toronto, live music had a, a, a kind of renaissance. And uh, I think a lot of it died out because, you know, it's expensive to not pay your musicians anything. It's expensive to it's not pay them, game. and it's very expensive to pay rent and, and lease a building in, in Toronto. Uh, yeah. Just like every big city, it's too expensive. Only investment bankers can afford to live in cities now. So it seems. So it seems. Um, I was reading a website. I was talking about a, another restaurant I used to really love going to. Um, I was still at York, too. It was called Century 66, and it was um, at, basically at Bloor and, and Young. Um you know, they used to have the Bloor Street Diner up there above Holt Renfrew. Do you remember that place with Tony mm -hmm. Calzetta's paintings? That's right. And then and there the was Fiesta. Franz. There was Franz, and then there was Fiesta. And Fiesta was just a marvelous place. That was north of Bloor. And um, they had great food and great atmosphere in there. And then Century 66 was super chic. And they played all the best music in the world. And um, high school kids would go there and drink coffee all day like Anita. And so they, they couldn't make a living. I would get lunch there. I, I, I was kind of had some, some money in my pocket when I first went to York University. Well, here and there, you know, and my treat would be to go have lunch and listen to the, to the music at Century 66. And actually, a fellow that painted across from me at York, Fraser, he used to work there. He was a ginger-haired guy, Ron, very good-looking. Was it Ron Fraser? Yeah. Yeah, yeah. He used to work at, at Century 66. Oh, wow. And uh, he also painted it. So that was kind of a thrill, too. Um, I don't know. I was so in, obsessed with going out in, in Toronto back then. Um, I was looking at thinking about all the places. There was Bemelman's there. Hey, Mars to... is gone now. Mars is long gone. Yeah. I know. Who would have thought that could go? That, I know, Mars was out of this world. Yes. Breakfast yeah. out of this world yeah. for, for decades for and it's ever. gone. Hard yeah. to believe. Yeah. I mean, it was uncomfortable. It was a good breakfast. It was uncomfortable. It was crowded. You always felt rushed. Yeah. Uh, but it was it was, it was delightful it was okay. to have your was, have yeah, breakfast there. It was good breakfast. They had you know pancakes and all that, waffles and whipping cream and stuff. It was pretty good. Yeah. There there was a time back in the day when a number of us would have Sunday breakfast, and we went to to, to Hills Diner. It was Hills for the longest yeah, time, and, and it cause, was Cause or, or Cause. K O S. Yeah. Yeah. Is that still there? Well, there's one in Kensington Market called Cause or Cause, I and, I, and I don't know people. if it's the same people. I have I no idea. I don't know either. Oh, God, yeah. I remember one time we were there and um, someone's pepper spray went off in their purse and we all started coughing and had to leave the building. And oh, we still my. have to pay for I hate our breakfast. When that happens. I know. <laughs> and, you know, I, when uh, when Stag was in town, we went to Kensington and we stopped for a snack at, at a place that's been there for so many years and I've just never gone in it. Oh. Um, but there it was. We were looking for a patio and there they had a patio and that was the Hungary Thai. Oh. Which is not, of course, for those who don't know it, not the hungry Thai, but the hungry Thai. Like it, hungry slash Thai food? Yes. Is oh, a, that's is awesome. A happy fusion. combination of fusion. Yes, it was, it was Thai, oh, uh, wow. Thai Hungarian fusion. And it's really nice. good. Cool. Um, and this, this Hungarian woman is clearly the boss, and she's like, she comes around, makes sure everything is okay, mm. and um, she looks pretty ferocious. <laughs> 
in uh, in making sure that the place is running smooth. But service was great. Uh, we had uh, fresh rolls and spring rolls and beer, and it was nice. uh, it was delicious. And uh, happy to finally have some some food there. Cool, cool. I love it. Yeah. So last night and yesterday, mm-hmm. uh, Candy was over here, and it was an opportunity for her to catch up on on that's right on something that I had recommended last, last week. Last week, yeah. Um, which is a a, a British uh, TV series, which there's two seasons of, um, on Showtime in North America, uh, called We Hunt Together. And is it ever good? Juicy, juicy good. It's just an excellent show with excellent characters. Yes, it's very character driven. Yeah. Uh, there's really two sets in the first season. We'll concentrate on the first season because yeah. that's what Candy's I've seen. I've seen the whole first season. Um, with, you know, it's binging is what happened yesterday. Yes, that's right. All day we watched this. <laughs> and, and well into the second season. Yeah. <laughs> um, this, this show uh, features two pairs of characters. Two detectives who are both in their own way really dysfunctional. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. One who has... A, a secret drug problem and is um, just manic about her work. And angry. And angry about everything. Cranky. And never wants to go home. And no. we discover that, well, she never wants to go home because home means smoking heroin. Triggering her, her yeah. accidental heroin addiction. Yeah. So uh, and and it her... played very well and played very differently, yes. uniquely portrayed. Not like other many stereotypical heroin addictions. That's right, because it really she's I mean, high she's, functioning. She's high functioning um, addict, and um, when you see how she behaves, it makes sense. Yeah, right. And then he is delightful. His name's Jackson, and he is a delightful character. He does remind me of a humorous Bobby Gorin. Bobby Gorin's the detective on Criminal. Intent, Law and Order Criminal Intent from the Zeros, uh, played by Vincent D'Onofrio. And he's always really grim and serious, but he knows so much about everything and culture. And this guy knows a lot about culture, too. I really like that. And he's really good with... He's really good with people. Yeah, he is. Um, you know, she's good when it's when it's time to break out the anger. Right. He hides his anger. Mm-hmm. Um, but we know that it's there. Mm-hmm. And uh, he is just looks on the bright side of everything. Yeah. And he does things like when they have a stairway to go up, he lets his his uh, partner walk up the stairway first, and then he runs the stairs. <laughs> Trying to get exercise. Um, yeah, and then they are influencing each other. These two are building a friendship. That's very nice to see because they could have stayed enemies, but they're actually building a relationship, and I really like it. And they're trusting each other and helping each other like you'd like to believe coworkers would do. And then there's a couple of bad guys. Yeah. Actually, there's several bad guys. There's bad guys killing bad guys. There's a woman <laughs> who calls herself Freddy, right. um, which is a name she took from her girlhood friend. And just coincidentally, she killed that friend. Yeah. And she's absolutely <laughs> photogenic and she loves clothing and she dresses to the thousands. And um, part of the entertainment of the show is just seeing what she might wear. A lot of really fun um, clothes. And, and she has the inability to feel. Right. She has no compassion for humans. Yeah. And um, she has a taste for killing. Yes, she does. And she is aware that she doesn't feel. What do you think that would feel like to not be able to feel? I don't know. Do you but think she wants feel to bad? feel. She wants to feel. So I think that there is something like almost like, yeah. you know, we have all the shows like AI, Westworld or in, in Star Trek. There's these AI and they can't be human or the angel in The Preacher's Wife, these characters that show up in literature and film that don't have any feelings. But they're not always psychopaths. 
Yes, oh, in her, in her case, always, she is. She is. They're, but, you know, they yearn to feel. They do yearn to feel. Yes. And But how do and, they, and how do they know close. they want to feel? She says it's almost the same thing, isn't it? Yeah. Like, I want to love you. I know. She thinks that's enough to love somebody. I don't think it is. That no. means that you don't you don't care about them. She doesn't care about anyone. No, she doesn't. And that would be too harsh to say that you don't care would mean something. It's just not true. It's and, just not connecting. And she's an individual who, when 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 asked about her life, she said, "I was born this morning." Yeah. Right? Every That's day. She every day new. she starts a whole new life. Yeah. Um, so she tries to be very here now throughout yes. her life. Uh, but and in in some ways she's successful, although true. she's a psychopath and she kills people. Yeah. So she has to cover it up. Um, but intriguing stuff. Intriguing. Uh, she's really a good character. You really do want to know what she's all about, too. And she meets a guy who is African. He's from Africa. He's a refugee. And as a boy, he went through a great deal of trauma, as did she. Mm. Um, and he killed many people, many innocent people. And he's trying very hard to be a good person. Uh, and he sees at one point... This woman is in distress. She's going to be beaten up by this guy. And he comes to the rescue and almost kills the guy. Mm -hmm. um, and she decides that really she needs to kill this guy and he's going to help. And he's perfectly willing to help he really because is. He, has a, he has a lot of empathy for her. Yes, he does. Um, and he really cares about her. And he feels like she's seen who he is. Yes. Yeah. She's really seen who he is. Um, he's from the DNC, I think. Or Rwanda, kind of a yeah. one of those kind of genocides situations, genocidal environments, and uh, you know, refugee from war, very sad. And so it's people got start a dying. lot of emotions, a lot yes. of emotions, and a lot of humor. So we're making it sound really terrible, but um, grim, and there is a grim aspect to it, but it also is very slick, very artistic. Beautiful cinematography and set design, and some great humor and characters. Yes, and it's a cat and mouse story. It is. Yeah. Uh, as they try like to, killing as, Eve. As they try to figure out who the killer is, mm -hmm. and then they they realize the killer has a partner. Who the killers are. Right. Um, and they start to, in a way, they build a relationship with the people that they're hunting, and the the title is we hunt together but you don't know is it is it the cops hunting the killers or is the killers hunting their next <laughs> victim that it refers to right uh and of course the, the cops have a boss who just wants to shut down the case uh -huh. tie it up in a little bow and shut uh -huh. it down and she's very good too her her portrayal is really good as well yeah um, great show i have to recommend it 10 out of 10 yes Absolutely it, it stars uh uh, Babu Cisse as uh, Jackson, Eve Miles as Lola, Hermione Court Courtfield as Freddie Lane, uh, Depo Ola as Baba or Baba. Right. Um, remarkably diverse casting compared to most Hollywood Very true. productions, in that you have these two pairs of individuals. Um, who are each white and black. Yeah, yeah, in each each pair. There's a few things about pairing going on, too, because the 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 bad girl, her name's Freddie, but the cop's last name is Frank's. So there's a weird masculinity on both of them. And then there's two scenes with urine, urine samples. 
that yes. about an ep- maybe they're an episode apart, maybe they're in the same episode. I, I, it, they're that close together that they happen that I noticed it right away when one guy has to pee in a glass and then the cop has to pee in her sample. And there's a urine passing. <laughs> there's two urine passings, so it's kind of weird. Transfers, um, kind of crazy. And interestingly, the... Uh, that Jackson character comes from anti-corruption. So she immediately doesn't trust him. <laughs> um, right. But when she's going to be caught because she's just taken drugs and mm-hmm. she's being recalled for a random drug test. Right. He, um, he, he supports her. He supports her. Yeah, he does. He t- he's, he's there for her. Yeah, no great show. I can't, you know, I hope there's more seasons. Really, really delightful. A lot of fun. Does remind me of the relationship in a Law and Order criminal intent with those two. Reminds me of um, Killing Eve in all in good ways, not in derivative ways, all in good ways. They've stepped out and, oh, the opening sequence is really beautiful. Lots of neon colors. In fact, neon lights are everywhere. It's as if the UK is decorated with neon lights. And they show at the beginning, they show um, a snake, a cougar, a wolf. And then they show words. Words like Words like danger. And then they... The, the light goes out on the D and you see anger. And then there's dine and the N goes out and you see die. Then you see, um, oh, strip club and the letters go out except for RIP. It's very, very tasty. Hotel, the lights go out that spell hell. It's a very tasty, delicious pop culture opening. Yes, and the colors are gorgeous. Throughout, throughout. the whole the yeah, cinematography and lighting is It's really, is really beautiful. Yeah. Um, and great soundtrack. Yes, great really soundtrack. soundtrack. And the relationships, all the relationships deepen as the show progresses. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, so you get to know the characters more and more. And you understand how, like, everybody has their problems. Mm-hmm. You know, you think that this uh, Detective Jackson, you think maybe he's got it all together. You know, he's got a nice family. His wife's a lawyer. And, um, you know, he seems very sophisticated and cultured. Um, and then you find out that his wife has been having an affair for <laughs> right. for a ton of time. Yeah. And, and, you know, and his way of dealing with it is he's going to wait till she tells him. Yeah. And then yeah. so when that that way ready. he can forgive her. Right. Because he sees that it's partially his fault. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, remarkable character. You don't see that a lot. No. Um, and, you know, his partner, they have they have such a... Um, such a loving relationship, you know. <laughs> she she calls him an arrogant prick. Right. And then she changes her mind. She says, I take it back. You're not an arrogant prick. You're an idiot. <laughs> and she should not be pointing fingers at anybody. Oh, we've got lots of tea here. Yes. Eugene's going to freshen us up. That's right. Um, You know, there's a lot of, you know, we talk about singer and songwriters on this show, on this podcast. Sometimes we have some favorites. But I think sometimes we forget about the entertainer. The person who interprets music and interprets it brilliantly. And we both saw uh, a biopic about one of the greatest recording artists ever, ever known to humans. Elvis. Elvis. Wow. It's quite a movie. I freaking loved it. I wish I didn't go by myself because I think it would have been... I bought the last ticket. The, the, I, so I go to the theater, not thinking anything, and I'm going to go to the VIP Big Sound, and I'd like a little bit more milk, please. Oh, <laughs> thank you. Um, in my tea. Do you need some sugar with that? No, thank you. Okay. Perfect like this. And um, uh, someone, um, the, the 
what are the, the usher had said, well, somebody bought out all the seats. I don't think there's any left. I went, what? Yeah, one person came in and bought out all these seats. And I said, well, I really have to see this show and I have to see it now because I have to. I'm doing a podcast. <laughs> and she looked and she said, there's one seat, but it's in the front row. And I went, Ugh, I have to take it. Um, fortunately, the seats went way back. Yes, and the, I the laid front row down, in our VIP was, theaters, you recline right back until you're back. lying. You're, you're lying back, completely looking almost straight up, yeah. and the 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 uh, screen is right in your face. Oh my god! So it's, that was a good thing, and I got some poutine. I've eaten more poutine in the last two weeks than I have eaten in years. Everywhere I go, poutine, poutine. We should drive to the poutine truck, the chip truck down at Cherry Beach. When's the last time you were at Cherry Beach? I haven't been to Cherry Beach in forever. Please go to Cherry Beach if you live in Toronto and tell the food truck, the chip truck, that the podcast, Agency Podcast, sent you. (laughs) Right. It's the best chip truck and poutine in the city. Well, now I want to go. I know. We might have to go after this and take photos. So we both saw Elvis. We both saw Elvis, and I cried the last 15 minutes of it, and I cried all the way from the theater. Thank God the theater wasn't very far. Trying to get my shit together in the car to come back to your place. I cried all the way back until I parked the car. Uh, I was all shook up, you could say. You could say that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank um, you very no, much. No, <laughs> it was really, really good. And I wonder if um, I wonder if there's any Elvis fans out there. I mean, it's so weird. I came across an Elvis fan when I was in high school. I mean, my grandmother loved Elvis. My father hated Elvis. I took Elvis with whatever. Elvis is there. I, di- there. I didn't even think about He's it. He's there as this kind of freak. Yeah, I didn't. I didn't think. Th- I didn't think freak. I didn't think anything. I just thought Elvis. He's a big star performer. He's on TV. My grandmother adores him. And I saw at um, what's that? Uh, where did I live again? Um, Cold <laughs> you Lake. Lived everywhere. I know Cold Lake, Alberta. <laughs> on an art. I went to stay with my grandmother at Cold Lake, Alberta. If Karen's out there, she she didn't know that I had lived in Cold Lake. Um, anyway, my grandmother lived on the base there and we went to see, um, Blue Hawaii or something for 25 cents because they would have these cheap movies on base wow. and she just loved him. And, um, and my father hated him, thought he had ripped off all black people and made his fame climbing on the backs of my dad's favorite artists who were mostly blues and jazz performers. So he was not a fan of Elvis. So I grew up with I, that I kind understand. of push and pull, as, right? As somebody who really got into obscure blues material in my early 20s um i guess you know when i was at at university and then after that uh i really began to not like elvis Mm. because i i had a really strong affection (laughs) for the music that he was strongly influenced by and i thought why would you listen to elvis when you could listen Mm. to Arthur Crudup. Mm-hmm, like, why mm-hmm, would you do that? Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. You know, why would you, as Mick Jagger said, why would you listen to the Rolling Stones when you could be listening to... Robert Johnson? Or any number okay. of the of the, right. the blues people that... And I guess that, I'm in the camp. Why can't we listen to them all? <laughs> well, well, sure. Why can't we listen to everything we feel like listening to? And if you don't feel like listening to it, don't listen to it. But yes, I understand that purist part too. There's a purist thing. You don't you 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 don't want anyone to be ripped off. Well, and also in the film, they they present the young Elvis when we first see him perform as they they set it up with a lot of anticipation and a lot of drama and a lot of focus on his mm. movements. Mm-hmm. Uh, but when the music starts, it's electrifying. Yes, uh, and true. It's, and it's really, really well done. Um, but then they also present us with some of 
of Elvis's influences, such as uh, Big Boy Crudup and played by Gary Clark Jr. Uh, and um, Little Richard, the guy who played Little played... Richard. Oh, he's so hot. He's so good. Um, well, I happen to know Gary Clark Jr. and really love him, so I, I knew that. But at the time, I didn't know who some of these actors were. I did. Know, and and um, the, so a very important minor role of is BB King, um, who makes the comment. Um, Alton Mason played Little Richard. Okay, very the, good. The BB King character makes makes the comment. Okay. You're gonna you're gonna make an awful lot more money out of this song than. Mm. Then I I don't know which one they were referring to. Was it the Big Mama Thornton song? I don't know. Um, Did he play that? Was it Hound Dog? Um, I thought or, it was Hound Dog. Something he played, or one of it, the the guys. It was, it was one of the ones that, yeah. that that Elvis recorded. Maybe it was That's All Right, Mama. That has um, to be it. I think that has to be it. And and you know the resignation of the BB King character that like mm. we can't ever do what you're going to be able to do with our material, mm. um, and and yet um, I think. It's an oversimplification to say that uh, Elvis was out there appropriating black music. Um, I, I think at Memf in Memphis at that time, there was a whole hodgepodge of musical ideas going on. Uh, and I think a lot of the musicians knew each other yeah played each other's music I think I think some of the black guys played country music a lot of the a lot of the, the country performers were starting to play the the, the black music and you had uh, you had rockabilly uh, developing I just don't think it was it was as so easy as to say that Elvis appropriated this music yeah well you although clear clearly mm -hmm. I mean he's doing that music yes yes uh, for a wider audience right, right you are definitely bringing up a whole bunch of topics here that I want to try to remember to talk about um right now um one thing is that what i found just going back to this part where bb king's in the film is that and this seems to be based on true accounts is that elvis presley did hang out on beale street with bb king with um arthur crudup he was he went and, and was inspired by them and they were inspired by him they they had some kind of mutual or at least, respect at least accepted him or at least accepted him i guess it would be respecting is too hard a word because um that, that's too um moralistic but they definitely seem to have a rapport with each other and i mean it wasn't like he went in there for five minutes it, it appeared that he hung out at this club with them yes. and um so but, that's one thing that i think is really in, really interesting to me but very much the story is the story of the mass marketing of Elvis by right. Colonel Tom Parker. Right. Um, and he was able to take what Elvis was doing and put it in front of a much huger audience than, than certainly Big Boy Crudup was ever going to do. Right. You know, it's funny because when I saw the trailers for the film, they show so many scenes of the screaming and the girls. And I was like, wow, I wonder what the message of this film was going to be because the trailer was really showing that. But I, I, I hearken back to in Kitimat, BC, when I was in high school, there was a fellow there. He was, an, he was, a, friend, he was a friend with an older cousin of mine in Kitimat. And did I tell you about him before? No, I don't think I so. I cannot remember his name. But anyway, he really loved Elvis. And everybody knew it. And one time I went over to their house. And I mean, he really loved Elvis. His entire bedroom was everything Elvis. Elvis wow. everywhere. Huge posters on the wall. Every record ever made by Elvis he owned. And he listened to, I think he listened to other music too, but he really listened to Elvis a lot. Like he liked all kinds of music. I cannot remember the name. I want to say his name was Paul, but I cannot remember his name. And um, 
Oh my God. I was, I was really taken by the fact that I didn't know a fan could be like that. That was really the first time I really saw how do you live like a fan, right? I just, I, I knew it was right. obsessed, uh, but I wouldn't have said obsessed, but I thought, wow, he really went all the way. He used every bit of, I mean, ceiling, walls, everything. Well, and, and the time when Elvis was becoming famous was a time when a number of things were were happening. It was after the Second World War, and we see the emergence of women with disposable income. Teenagers with disposable income. Teenagers with disposable income. TVs, TVs. in the home. Yes. It's so like that, having the internet. Yeah, so that, that suddenly someone who is a regional performer could be a really, really big performer. Um, but the TV was pretty white bread, and some of that music that Elvis was listening to was pretty dangerous music. Right. Um, the other thing I can say for a fan thing, I just want to kind of cover this fan part, because I was trying to think of who did I ever feel that excited about? And I was not a screaming teenager. It was not my style. But the time I ever felt that kind of adrenaline go through me was on a couple of, I mean, I, when I went to see shows, I'd be pretty excited to see the musicians. But that almost irrational adrenaline with The Clash, with David Bowie, and with Springsteen. That's the closest, but I wasn't a screaming fan. I, I wasn't doing that, but I was that much adrenaline. I could feel that mm -hmm. this wasn't a normal, this was like going to, um, this was like going to the center of Buddhism or Jerusalem or Mecca or a pilgrimage, for sure. I was like, finally, I'm seeing them face to face. Uh, so I thought fandom had a lot to do with um, the movie. And I thought, I think that touching upon that disposable income and the TVs at home, um, and this idea that Elvis was a little bit like, he really liked James Dean. I can't believe Elvis, I think, is the same age as my parents. That freaks me out. And, and when he died, I really kind of went, oh, Elvis died. I mean, I just, my feeling was that I didn't know that somebody that, that rich and famous could just die. I thought he was very old, though. At the time, I was like, well, he is really old. I mean, I guess. But it, there was no story about drugs when he died from my mind. I didn't, I didn't know John Lennon was a junkie until years later. And I was like, what? And then I know one of our our listeners and friends, Vox, told me that Joni Mitchell was a coke. And I was like, what? And then I found out, of course, she was. But I didn't look at artists like that. I didn't just see them in that in that light. I, I wouldn't have had info on that like you would on the internet. In magazines, they didn't print that. So I, I, I guess this feeling was that the other older fans I know, that other times I've come in contact, particularly with Elvis fans, was um, some bosses I had, and they really felt that their music fed into them hanging out at the beach, them hanging out in parks by themselves without adults, and they'd have transistor radios, right? And these portable radios, and they would spend the day dancing if they felt like it at the beach, or listening to music at the beach, then going to get sodas and literally like Archie Comics, you know? And they had this whole autonomy or agency, if you will, and um, that they had, that Elvis represented. And so I think there's something in there too, in to the, remember. In the film, we're sold the idea that Elvis was very dangerous. Yes. Um, that his his one one wiggle of the Elvis hips um, was enough to uh, break down the resistance of all the young women in America. That. Um, who were screaming for, for Elvis's that. hips. Yes. Um, but, you know, when when I looked at it, I thought that was in a way kind of funny because 
really is, is kind of safe. You know, I mean, it's, sure, like, 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 it's good, clean at, fun. It's good, clean fun. Yeah, Why would that be banned? Right. But the, he wasn't. Like, the, let's Baz Luhrmann, the director, wasn't just selling it. What they used in the style of the filmmaking, we haven't even talked about it yet. It's done like postcards and newsprint, and it's a collage montage of images. At least the first hour is. Yeah, lots of fast edits. And I feel like that slowed down by the end of the film, which is another commentary we could talk about in a few minutes. But at first, you're like bam, 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 and it's beautiful fonts and lettering. But the it wasn't that the filmmaker was saying that it was taken from news news stories. They put the news stories up of what was written about Elvis Presley performing, and they were disgusted. People were disgusted. People by were him. disgusted. And you know, uh, last week when Stag was here, he said he <laughs> said that that uh, some of his parents' friends he can remember them not accepting Elvis until he came back from the army. Because oh, it's like yeah. once he went to the army, well then he was a nice young man. Yes. Yeah, so they weren't wrong on that. On that, in Colonel the, Parker wasn't wrong about doing that. But at the time, I mean, it's full of contradictions, right? Yeah. I mean, you could say that Elvis was taking, recording on Sun Records was was taking a lot of things from the black recordings on Sun Records. Yes. But remember that Sam Phillips was a white guy profiting from recording these mm -hmm. so-called race recordings, mm -hmm. too. Um, but also, let's go back a little bit. Let's go back to 1951. Okay. In 1951, um, a guy named Pat Hare recorded recorded a song called "I'm Gonna Murder My Baby." Okay. It is. It has distorted guitar in it that's dirty and nasty and dangerous. You listen to the first few bars of "I'm Gonna Murder My Baby," and you just it just feels greasy and grimy scary. and awful and scary. Um, and, you know, it's got lyrics like, uh, good morning, judge, and your jury too. I got a few things I'd like to say to you. I'm going to murder my baby. Yeah, I'm going to murder my baby. She don't do nothing but cheat and lie. <laughs> right? That's, that is dangerous stuff. That is. And, of course, what what happened with, with Albert Hare, Pat Hare, is he killed his girlfriend and spent the rest of his oh, life in jail. Oh, God. Uh, you know, and like that's the level of, of it's a really whitewashed, dangerous music mm -hmm. that Elvis was presenting mm -hmm. is, I guess, what I, I, I want to say. Um, but it isn't the first time we've seen it. Also in 1951 on Sun Records, um, we have um, we have a song called Rocket 88 by Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats. A lot of a lot of um, musicologists will say that's the first rock and roll song mm -hmm. for all kinds of, of good reasons. Mm -hmm. um, a song which, by the way, I, I heard an interview with James Cotton who said that he and Ike Turner co-wrote that song. Wow. But James Cotton never got any credit. And wow. not only that, the band was a really down and dirty R&B band called Ike Turner and the Kings of Rhythm. <laughs> and... Uh, they marketed it as Jackie Brenston and the Delta Cats. Because, they, because it's less dangerous. Than Ike I Turner. Think. Was Ike and Turner wanted for violence? Or I don't I don't know, but right. he was he was a shark. He was clearly He's, a shark. Okay. All right. All right. Before Tina. Before Tina. Yeah. Uh, also also the single most well recorded blues performer huh. in the history of recording. That, who knew? Yeah. I, I just happened to read yeah. that somewhere. Yeah. That's why I knew. Uh, you know, and they were you know, they were doing this song about let's let's get a bottle and get out in the car and drink and drive. Yeah. Yeah. So that that would be considered dangerous. And I think that is part of the danger of now you mentioned to me over coffee earlier today about rockabilly and some of the performers before Elvis that were white guys 
we could say co-opting or um, assimilating other culture, cultural assimil, you know. Sure, but I, I mean, I'm not sure that that's a, it's a linear thing. How okay. that, I am now going to assimilate this music. Right. I don't I think don't it's think like so that. either. You're living I think this community and, it, and, and the music's in the scene and it's yes. around you. Yes. And, um, and musicians have this really nasty habit of absorbing the things that are around them. The sounds and so, do, them, so you know? musicians and artists, visual yeah. artists do it too. Of course. I mean, you know, there's nothing I would be afraid of ripping off of, um, of like logos. Um, but still, you know, one of the telling lines in the film is by the B.B. King character um, who's, who says, you're going to make an awful lot more money yeah, than I would, off yeah. this song than, than, than any of the black performers yeah. will. And yeah. that was the reality of it. Um, and at the same time, there is this character played by Tom Hanks, Colonel Tom Parker. And in some ways, you could argue that this film wasn't a movie about Elvis. It was a movie about about. Colonel Tom Parker and the mass marketing of rock and roll. I would agree. I would agree. This movie is a lot about capitalism, consumerism, and um, the corporatization of art. Yes. And yeah, uh, what can we sell? And so he started making tchotchkes. Yes. Oh, of oh, you mean like merch? Merch. From, yeah, merch, all this yes. merch. Yeah. And, but, I mean, and that that, that time honored tradition um, grew to the point where if you go to visit Graceland, <laughs> all around Graceland are Elvis stores that yeah. sell nothing but Elvis. Today, crap. today, today. Correct. Correct. Nothing but Elvis crap. Yeah, that's true. And so much Elvis crap, you can't even believe. It's the pretty stuff cool. That they come up Some with. of it's really good, though. Some of it's really good. I had bought. I've bought it twice now because the first one we lost was a DVD called "That's the Way It Is." And in fact, the last hour of this movie is so similar to That's the Way It Is, the DVD. Only the only thing different is that you get a lot more of Elvis talking. You see him. Um, it, he definitely appears to be connected to one of his uh, backup singers rather intimately. There seems to be a good rapport between them. And um, you also see that he's not that overweight. I mean, I definitely understand about the puffed up Elvis, but... You know, now looking back, he was 42, which I thought was so old. So. <laughs> I was like, well, he was really old. I guess that's why I died. didn't know it was drugs. Didn't know that this story also reminds me of Judy, uh, Prince. Sure. Uh, Tom Petty and these ghouls in Hollywood and in the entertainment business and Basquiat being given drugs and, and are looked away. It's the time-honored tradition of of really making money off of artists. How do you get a chicken to dance? You keep them hooked up on feed, right? And um, I think it's really hard to see that Elvis was a was a mechanical yeah. doll do, do you remember, to do you uh, Colonel that, Parker. The, the interview that we read in the eighties, uh, uh, it's an interview or an article about Mary Boone, uh, the yes. art the art dealer, yeah. um, where she talked about that. she she talked about how she wanted her artists have lots of trouble with drugs and women mm -hmm. i guess she thought she was funny at the time maybe she did yeah. but i mean it's really telling because it's part of the same time honored tradition of you know of, of make them dance and we'll make money off yeah them, you know yeah. And, i mean it's pretty awful. It when, is awful and when you think of someone like elvis who jumped in bought into that hook line and sinker and then didn't have a way to live in the world mm -hmm. anymore mm -hmm. really you know, um, the other thing is that we're not quite remembering to say, too, is that in this movie, they really have a wonderful sequence of childhood. And um, Elvis Presley's relationship with his mother, they had a very spiritual relationship. And she seemed like a, it's hinted at that she um, believes in the power of God and that God would work through you. And she saw her son singing his voice as a gift from 
from God. And he has an aha moment or a paradigm shift when he's a young kid at a gospel tent. Yes. And that's where we see Gary Clark Jr. playing, I think. And um, and he has a moment where he sees the connection between the spirit and dancing. Yes. Which is a long time honored connection yes, in, fi- in film too. Yeah. You know, or and sometimes devil, yes. evil as well. And at the same time, though, they, they're, they're presenting Elvis as a savant who was controlled by Colonel Parker. Um, and, well, there are times in which you see Elvis asserting himself. It's always within, um, within the, the Colonel Parker universe. Like Elvis wants to go on an international tour, but Colonel Parker had right. another idea. Yeah. Right. And ultimately yeah. he prevailed. At least that's the way they sold there's it. There's another it movie be, that it this... would be very interesting to see what really happened. I know. This, there's another movie that this, that Elvis reminded me of, Amy. And oh, I thought yeah. about Amy so many times. Sure. Because of all the footage that's available of Elvis, even though yes. they recreated it. And um, just this, this again, this the golden goose that they're killing while they get all the money that's from right. it. That's right. Family included. That's right. And, I mean, everybody can recognize the tremendous talent that both these performers had and they were doomed yes yeah doomed they, they were doomed the star maker machinery was going to eat them both up yeah now um i also want to give that there's some incredible ca- acting and casting in this movie um the actors are all incredible austin butler i feel like he's just for sure going to get an oscar i just feel like he is he, he did a great job he, awesome at first i had a, a little bit of trouble yeah the first few minutes suspending my disbelief yeah because Elvis had such a unique look, and you can't really imitate that. Mm, I'm I mean, he, agree was, with he you. was a gorgeous guy, and he looked in a very particular way. And this guy had a whole different. His mouth shape was much different. Yeah. His head shape was different. Um, but once he started being Elvis, yeah. he was so convincing that it didn't matter. Right. I found him looking like Elvis quite a lot. The makeup is incredible in this movie. It's 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 stupendous. Maybe the weakest makeup might be on Tom Hanks, but everyone else, oh. the mother, uh, Mrs. Presley, um, Priscilla Presley, um, the black performers, costumes and makeup, excellent, excellent. Yeah. I thought actually of that film uh, that um, uh, Walking Phoenix, Phoenix was oh, in, yeah. Walk, Walk the Line, yeah. where he had the same problem. How do you play someone whose face is so well known? So well known. How do you do that? Yeah. And he did a damn good job of playing Johnny Cash. He did. But I, throughout that film, I doubted it. Hmm, Through, Throughout it, I doubted it. Yeah. It's like he's not, I, but I, he's not Johnny Cash. Yeah, I went but, through it. But in this one, I I really bought into he could he could too. be Elvis. I really started feeling that he was Elvis, and I think that's the part where I got so emotional because I got pretty attached to him. And I mean, also, one of the sexiest things you'll ever see on film is a 1968 TV um, special with Elvis in that black leather suit. I mean, I can hardly say the words. I, I can't I can't think of anyone who doesn't think that he's one of the most powerful energies in the universe in that in that. Um, special. It's so gorgeous. And he's so gorgeous. And um, Austin Butler brings something. Yeah, it's true. His mouth does not look like Elvis. But at some point, but the, the youthful, the youthful skin, the energy and those eye, the makeup was so incredible that his eyes and hair, he really did look like him. And his performance, I don't even know how he did it. I mean, you can imitate Elvis all you want. And I was married by an Elvis impersonator um, who didn't look anything like Elvis. <laughs> he, <laughs> he looked like Hugh Jackson. <laughs> and only he was quite um, height challenged. And um, 
but he was still a great energy of Elvis. He did bring the energy of Elvis. And um, but Austin Butler really, really becomes him. He's so good. He's so good, and the camera loves him. He's gorgeous to look at. And the woman who was in the staircase, Diong, I forgot her first name, um, and I don't know who she plays in the staircase, but she's brilliant as Presley, uh, Priscilla Presley. And I kind of almost feel like there could be a whole movie, a whole storyline about her. Um, it was really, really good, and I enjoyed that so much. Oh, by the way, none of it is filmed in Memphis or the United States. All filmed in Australia. Australia. So just imagine... I mean, you've been to Graceland a couple times, a few times. I've been a, a number of times, maybe six, seven Actually, times. Actually, just once for me. Just once? Yeah. I've probably been half a dozen once times. Once was plenty. Once was plenty. I've been in the Lisa Marie. Yes, I've been in the Lisa Marie, too. <laughs> it looked just like the inside of an airplane covered with plastic so you don't leave your fingerprints I know, on anything. But it was really cool. It was pretty cool. It was it was personified. It was personalized. It was the, a personalized The best train. part of visiting plane, Graceland plane, was, was seeing the two punkers trying to break in the front gates. <laughs> With the Ramones t-shirt. Oh, cute. Was that you? <laughs> um, oh, yeah. No, I've been there by accident just because I've been with a different people to Memphis. And they always want to go to Graceland, of course. So I've been like, yeah, I'll go again. But I once is enough. But I happen to have gone six times. So I feel like I've really got a feel for the place. Although they they mostly did not show the, the touristy part of Graceland. They did deal with the upstairs. How they built that set and did the... the uh, the drone of Graceland. I guess they must have built something to imitate the ceiling. Or maybe they sent a drone to America. But I believe it was filmed entirely in Australia. So they recreated Hollywood, the International Hotel. Um, there's some great sets where... Um, it's funny because at one point Elvis calls the Hotel International this mausoleum. And I couldn't help but think in a weird way... Um, the Elvis movie is a, turned into a kind of a mausoleum, just as well as anything of this hero worship always ends up being something we look back at in death. Yeah. You know, and that it's a it's a dead entity in a way. I think I, I'd like to also mention that, you know, when you watch the film, you would think that the idea of Elvis playing this kind of music was really unique in its time. But remember that at the same time, um, you had Wanda Jackson, Bill mm -hmm. Haley, mm -hmm. Neil Sedaka, Bobby Rydell, Connie Francis, Fabian, Buddy Holly, The Big Bopper, mm -hmm. Richie Valens, Carl Perkins, Johnny Cash. There were a lot of people who were trying to cash in on, on how to mass market um, this kind of music with Blues. this with this strong backbeat, Blues. this infectious backbeat yeah, music, okay. this this dirty music. All right, yeah. Um, and rockabilly, a lot of those performers kind of related to rockabilly. Yeah. Um, so it, I think it just it wasn't so unique, and as I was saying, and it wasn't earlier, just Elvis. And it, yes, it wasn't just Elvis, and it wasn't it wasn't entirely straightforward an appropriation deal either. Right. Although in some cases, certainly it, it was. Yeah. You know, I think like Pat Boone, yeah. for instance. Yeah. Um, but, um, well, you know, I think it's, it's like in other eras, too. You know, when the Rolling Stones started playing blues music, they turned it into something else. Mm -hmm. Right. They mm -hmm. turned it into a kind of a kind of rock and roll, which was it was the Rolling Stones. You don't really think, oh, they're doing Muddy Waters, even when they're doing Muddy Waters. Mm -hmm. Mick Jagger had to tell you. Yeah. You know, yes, you go, yeah. why, why listen to us play King B? You can listen to Slim Harpo 
right. play it. Right. And even though he said, why listen to us do it? Yeah. Everyone, everyone wanted them to do it. Well, that's a great point. Right? And when they were on, what was it, Shindig or yeah. one of those shows <laughs> where they, they would only go on if if um, Howlin' Wolf could come well, on. Well, that's genius. And, and you see this this wonderful footage of Howlin' Wolf in all of his glory. And... Um, this young white audience clapping mm, along, sort of brilliant. out of rhythm, and it's. That's brilliant. Um, I mean, good for them well, to, to recognize yeah, at least yeah. where the music came yeah. from. Yeah. Um, but also, when we look at it in the fullness of time, we see that what happened was they just they were really doing something else. Mm-hmm. You know, it's funny. I'm thinking about the director, and he's one of my favorite directors. He's not entirely loved for his filmmaking like I think he should be. I love him. He did an he, he did another movie called The Great Gatsby. And when he did it I was like, wow, I mean, The Great Gatsby that I know is so perfect. Why would you why would he take that on again? But he does have concerns with um he seems to be concerned with um capitalism and its effect on art and on livelihood and making a living and The Great Gatsby would certainly cover that. Plus in great in in the Elvis movie, who is the film director? Is he Elvis? Does he see himself as Elvis, or does he see himself as Colonel Parker? And I might feel that I think Baz Luhrmann sees that his death or that his destiny is a bit of both as a filmmaker. Is that one of the things about being an artist, especially in a in in capitalist society or in any kind of culture, is that you can't generally you can't really make money unless you happen to be famous like Jeff Koons or Manet. But um, many did make some money when he was alive. But um, so you want to be a huckster in a way. If you're an artist, you'd be better served if you were a part of the huckster mentality. And they show that mentality through Colonel Parker because he came up through Carnival. He was in the freak right. show, geek show. The circus. And, and the circus. And there's even a scene where you see Elvis and behind him is a sign for the geek. For the geek, that's right. right. Just in case you didn't get it. That's right. It's like Elvis is the geek right. here, people. Right. And Baz Luhrmann, his criticism is that he's too visual. He's too decadent. He's too decorative. That's what made this movie strong. That's what made this movie, makes all of his movies so strong because it is a visual medium and it's a moving visual medium and it should be that way. He is the Douglas Sirk. He's like Douglas Sirk who made... Uh, these melodramas that were beautifully filmed called women's films or women actors. But uh, Lerman is able to do that. And the corruption by capitalism is part of his message. Um, and I think he does see the artist as part huckster. And his films, he knows he ha- he's so in- they, he's judged for artifice. And yet that is what's so beautiful in his films is that, that he goes all out for the, um, the mm-hmm. artwork in it. Yeah, I see it as a, as a double-edged sword. Yes. In, in the Elvis film, that's both its strength and yes, its weakness at yes, the same time. Yes, and I think people would say that yeah. about him. For me, it's strength, strength, but I certainly understand where that would be hard. hard. And the movie changes tone by the end. It has It's less um, decorative. Yes. It's less, um, you know, the, all the fun montages that are at the beginning. All that has slowed down into this death crawl. You know, and the movie is doing that too, which... It's part of its strength, but also part of the hard part that it's not as yeah. pretty and fun anymore. Yeah. If if I were making that film, yeah. I would have made the entire film in that period between his teenagehood and his first record. Sure, and that's been done. And that would be that's that, been done all the time. That would be yes. where I would focus I everything, yeah. and I just would pretend the rest of it didn't exist. I get that. You know, I, I I probably would feel the same way. I like young Elvis was in the movies that my grandmother loved, and he was cute and young and everything. 
but I have fallen deeply, deeply in love with operatic Elvis. I absolutely love him. I love the bad suits, the, the pantsuits, the jumpsuits. And they the, the they infer in the film that he thought that he could be a serious actor. Yeah. That he didn't realize that they were just Elvis movies mm-hmm. in a way. Mm-hmm. That he was, they were Elvis vehicles and the movies were largely pretty trashy. But they do mention... In the in the film that that the movies got cheaper and cheaper as yeah. they went, yeah, right. It just became put Elvis in anything. Yes, yeah, yeah. Whereas Flaming Star was a credible film role at first, you know. Um, what about Cody Smith McPhee? He plays. Does he play Jimmy Rogers? He's he's in the Power of the Dog. Did you see the Power of the Dog? I did not. You see saw the Power Slow of the West. Dog. Yes. He's in Slow West. Now talk about a stereotype yep, actor. Plays, he plays Jimmy Rogers Snow, which is Hank Snow's <laughs> son. And boy, do they do a hatchet job on Hank Snow in this film. Aww. They really do. Um, I don't know if it's fair or not, because I don't know enough about Hank Snow. He doesn't come off nice. They, He's very jealous and old. He comes off as old, <laughs> exactly, old, and old and jealous and stodgy. Mm-hmm. And and maybe he was. I don't I don't well, know. Well, don't you think that's a metaphor for all the teenagers? They felt their parents were stuck in the mud, making too many rules, and they were holding them yes. down, and they wanted freedom and fun. And that's why they loved Elvis, because he always would yes. joke. And, he always and would dance. They were trying to present Hank's son, Jimmy Rogers Snow, as someone who was like as like one of those young rock and rollers, mm-hmm. like an mm-hmm. Elvis, mm-hmm. but he clearly didn't have uh, the ability. Mm-hmm. Uh, and mm-hmm. and Jimmy Rogers Snow later be- abandoned music and became a preacher. Really? Yeah. Oh, fascinating. Well, I just couldn't help but think there's Cody Smith McPhee, and he has three roles now where he's almost dressed identical in every role, <laughs> from The Power of the Dog to Slow West to this. He's going to be like, he's the meta cowboy. <laughs> he's the metaphorical cowboy of the zeros of the new century. But, you know, they also didn't, they, they showed him touring with Hank Snow, but they didn't show Elvis touring with Johnny Cash. I, and, that would be fun. And that, that whole ensemble of rock and rollers that you saw in. Who did the Million Dollar Quartet? Who was in that? Uh, Elvis and Carl Perkins and Johnny Cash and who's the fourth? Chet? No. Uh, I don't know, but I, it would be hard to not have that in the movie. I, I think that must have been, they just didn't have time, but I would have put that in the movie for sure. The Million Dollar Quartet? Yeah, they didn't They didn't go there at all. No. And I could see that. They didn't have time. It's already a very long film, so they probably didn't have time. Elvis, Jerry Lee, oh, Jerry, Jerry Lee, Lee Lewis, oh. Carl Perkins, and, oh. and Johnny how could, Cash. How could I forget that? Uh, and, you know, Jerry Lee Lewis was very, very jealous of Elvis because, <laughs> because he thought he was better. Yes. He thought he was he was a, a far better performer. Well, and wasn't he a singer-songwriter? He, he was certainly a, a singer. I don't know if he was okay. a songwriter. Okay. But also he was a piano player. Yes. And he was a, he was a, a very expressive performer. And he thought he was hot stuff, and well, he was. He did have something in common with I, Elvis. Teenage girls. Well, there's that. And they do not deal with it at all in the movie. Um, I don't know why. Um, and I, I guess people are going to criticize. They do mention his other women. I think the yeah. Priscilla character says, I don't care about the women who come in the back door. I know. Uh, but they don't go there. she was 20 right? by then. At least she was 20. But she was 14 when they first met. I know because I read Priscilla Presley's Elvis and Me. <laughs> ah. um, I mean, I think they got married when she was 15 with her parents' permission. 
I had no idea. She's 14. Yeah. And wow. I, I, they don't deal with that at all in the film. No, they don't. They don't and at all. I mean, we don't see them have sex, so maybe they didn't have sex. I don't know. Maybe I don't they did. know. I, and, I but, forgot because I read. That's, that's I read, a whole other story. It isn't is it? a whole other story. I guess so. Is a million dollar quartet. Yeah, and, you know? and you have to if you're going to make uh, if you're going to present a story, you have to choose. You can't you have everything. I know. I do, I know. And he was trying to do everything. He, yes, did, he, he put tried a lot to do in a there. lot. Like he tried put a lot of a lot of detail with with the black performers who influenced. Yeah, he did not have to do that by by putting really really strong performers and actors in and those actors roles. in those roles so that so that when when you when you hear um like little richard you just it stops yeah. you in your tracks you just go oh yeah. i want that baz Luhrmann to so make good. a i want him to make a netflix series called club handy club handy was the bar on beale street i i just want him to make a whole like make an, a 10-part episode that would be very on cool. Club Handy would be amazing. Yes, I would like to see a lot Baz, more. Are you listening to a us? A lot more attention <laughs> paid to the black performers in in Memphis, and you know Sam Phillips was recording them, mm-hmm. um, and they at the time they referred to them as race records. They uh, they they sold around um, around the South through what they called the Chitlin Circuit, mm-hmm. and uh, it was black music for black black audience, mm-hmm. uh, and. You know, I I guess it might have been a surprise to to a lot of people when um, when people who weren't black started doing music that was derived from that and how hugely successful it could be. Mm. Yeah. And it's no wonder because I mean the the music rockabilly, mm, I love and, rockabilly. and R&B from that time had this wonderful backbeat mm-hmm. and it was so danceable yes. and the melodies were so fun. Yeah, definitely, definitely. Yeah, huge. I wish I wish Rockabilly would make you know, it come back. <laughs> right, and, and and you know you see it's all they, contra they dancing. Really, it's all square dance now. They they really emphasized Elvis's sexuality as a young a young performer. True. But then you see as soon as you see Little Richard, um, you know, wop 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 bam boom. Well, I mean, it's it, it just puts it in a whole other place. I will right? say, my friend Jenny and I, we were in the theater in Campbell River, I think probably. The, the famous theaters I keep telling you about in my childhood where they played older movies for a week, right? And we saw a concert film. I don't know what it was called. Was it Monterey or something? And Little Richard performs and he has mirrors glued on his clothes, like chunks of mirror, and he jumps all over the speakers and all oh, over I the stage. I think I've seen that. Like Speakers are really, really tall, tall and he climbs all over them. Oh my God. Yeah. We were mind blown. Like, we were like, Little Richard, oh my God, oh my God, oh my God. We were like insane, insane for Little Richard. And just, yeah, and then that thing. So, I mean, I was natural to love Prince, too, because Prince also climbs on speakers in, a, in a, almost like an homage to Little Richard in the purple. Well, well he was always I, I, in I purple. Mean, you, you could and actually, that movie could have been black and white. I, I don't know. I'm My memory is so, like, on top of it, that it could be a black yeah. and white film, and I'm remembering color. But the speakers, the climbing around, the dancing, oh my God. Well, and there is there is a, another kind of musical lineage that you could say goes from um, uh, Little Richard through James Brown. Little mm-hmm. Richard, James Brown, Prince. What is it? Yes. Right? And it's, it's the development of funk. Yeah. Really? Yeah. Um, and, and the performers who um, go out of their way to show their feminine side. Yes. Um, androgyny is what androgyny, we, we yes. would want to call it androgyny probably because all rock and rollers and pop culture the more androgynous you are 
the better. Oh yeah, and and that's throughout all the styles of rock and yeah. roll. I mean, you even look at like at at eighties heavy metal music. I I remember uh, going to see a band that that uh, that a cousin of mine was in, and they were they were dressed in in the in the heavy metal uniform. Right. They had the long, long hair, hair that you could shake, yep. Yep. and they had the the lycra tights yep. and the you know the whole the whole well, outfit. All of right? that is from pre-Raphaelites. If you look at all the pre-Raphaelite paintings, they're androgynous. All those women were so androgynous, and they always posed with their neck stretched out, right? And one of the words inside of the neck structure is cervix, but the neck is also like a phallus. Interesting. So you'll never look at pre-Raphaelite paintings now ever again if you're out there <laughs> listening to us on the podcast. I pretty much ruined it. I said that on a book forum, and I'm sure they banned me for it. <laughs> Elvis and the pre-Raphaelites would be a yeah. pretty good band name. That'd be a cute name, yeah. <laughs> yeah. There was a TV series called The Pre-Raphaelites. Well, and if and if you're if you're doing if you're doing rock and roll in 1978, um, and you want to sell a pile of records, um, no use calling yourself D Clan when you could call yourself Elvis. True. I think that was a great change name, though. I think that was an important name change. I love it. You know, I love that TV show that he had, Spectacle. Ah. That was I. We've got it on DVD, and I haven't had time to revisit it. I watched it when it came out, but that's an incredible series of interviews of um, Elvis Costello interviewing Elton John, Bruce Springsteen, Nora Jones is on there, I think. Jesse Winchester. The episode with Jesse Winchester is really excellent Ooh. because all the guests there, you could see, look to Jesse Winchester <laughs> wow. as as a like the superior songwriter. Yeah. They're in awe yeah. of Jesse Winchester, yeah. and he's like this. He's just like a regular guy, right? It's kind of cool. Yeah. That's very cool. Um, what else? <laughs> I thought I had another point I was going to make about Elvis something. is everywhere. Who, who did oh. that song? Is that Skip Roper and oh, Mojo Nixon? Elvis yeah. is everywhere. Yeah. Everyone is Elvis. Yeah. Except Michael J. Fox. Do Michael have, J. Fox isn't Elvis. Do we have a copy of Mystery Train in the building? Uh, the film? It's I don't a think Jim so. Jarmusch film. And the... One of my favorite oh, sequences. Oh, we should talk about that a little bit. Yeah. yeah, my favorite sequence in it is where the two Japanese tourists with the zippo have, lighter. With the zippo lighter, they have a photo book, or they're looking through photos, and their theory is that everyone famous, and this would be fitting into androgyny again, but everyone famous looks like Elvis. Buddha looks like <laughs> Elvis. Madonna looks like Elvis. I don't know who else they have in there, but I I tried to find it on YouTube today, and I, I can't find this segment of it. If I can get it on. Um, Pull it up on streaming so, services. I'll film it and put it on our. And one of the things when media. you start when you stop playing in clubs mm-hmm. and you start playing in arenas, then you have to amplify what you're doing. That's you have to amplify true. your your outfit. Yeah. You don't have a one inch collar. You have a six inch collar yes. with big yes. rhinestones and studs well, there, on. There you've explained. You've yeah. answered your own question. Why does everybody, we're talking about this too. Why does everybody? They start out just being a performer, and inevitably. They get to the point where they're wearing the gold lame suit, because you can see it from far away. It has yes. to be it. Has to be it. Yes. Do you, do you, are you familiar with that Phil Oaks album where yeah, Phil, of course Phil I Oaks am. has got fifty thousand fans? Can't be wrong. <laughs> yes. yes, there are fifty Phil Oaks fans. Can't oh, be 50, wrong. Yeah. Is it fifty or fifty? I think it's fifty Phil Oaks fans. Oh yeah, can't we be should wrong. have this episode. And it has all pictures of gold records and agency and fans. And can't be wrong. The, I just want to cry whenever I see that picture of Phil Oaks in the gold lame suit so because. Beautiful. His melancholy is so profound, yeah. and his realization that he'll never—he thought of himself, I think, as a very serious songwriter and very politically charged, which he is—and um, yeah. would never 
gain the kind of audience that you could gain if you dressed up in a gold lamé soup. So let's do it. Yeah. (laughs) Maybe it'll help. Well, I mean, I just can't, I mean, um, Act Tongue Baby by U2, that's when they came out with the fly and they changed their look and they really became more operatic as well. Um, Everybody, everybody does. Lady Gaga, I mean, she was always costume and and art, but now she's super, super amplified. I think a lot of that has to do with playing in arenas. I think it does too. Because you're looking at a tiny figure from a football field away. And if they don't do something to be able Mm -hmm. to amplify themselves, they're just like anybody. Right. And you want your album cover art to also prepare you for that concert. Oh, speaking of Elvis and being burnt out, because what part of the movie is that they show him getting more and more burnt out and there's drugs for uppers and there's drugs to get him to sleep, drugs to get him back up again, get him on stage. And it's everyone knew it. His father knew it. Colonel Parker hired the doctor to do it. Well, and the people he was performing with, like Johnny Cash, they were all doing it, That's too. That's true. That's true. Right? Which is, again, if you didn't know that, you wouldn't know Hard it. Hard to believe there are drugs in the music industry. Uh, I can't it. even believe it. Stop it. But on a different <laughs> note, I was listening to the radio yesterday, and um, Sean Mendez, Canadian performer, huge pop star, um, he is taking a break. He was booked. He's he's canceling some of his tour because he's he got famous around 18, just like Elvis did, and he's only 23, and he was being booked across the states every other day. So you're traveling in between those gigs. You're not seeing anywhere you're going. You're not going out for dinner in nice restaurants where you're going. You're going to eat in the room. That's right. You're just you're just the product. And if we remember that 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 film that we talked about, that documentary we talked about a couple of weeks ago. Um, about the guys, the rock and rollers in their vans. Oh, yeah. Um, drive, uh, you know, what drives us, yeah. Everybody who was interviewed all said, we just wanted to go out and see, <laughs> them, see places. See we places. wanted to travel. Oh, we yeah. didn't get to travel. Yeah. We wanted to travel around, go to different places and have adventures. That is fun. And so did Elvis. He wanted to go international. Yes. But he played the International Hotel instead. Yes. You can just see the marketing that Colonel Parker did. I didn't know anything about Colonel Parker. That's the most I know now from that movie. Not a fan. Well, they certainly I'm make him. They make him look Tom bad Hanks for, for playing sure. that. <laughs> well, I mean, he's an actor. Did and Tom you take Hanks on get COVID roles, right? doing that role? Is that when he got COVID? I don't Was know. Was he in Australia filming? Remember when he and his wife got COVID? Yeah, I don't. They know. were like Maybe. some of the first famous really sick people. So I wonder if it, that's when he got it. But um, he certainly does a really good job. A very good job. I love it, but I'm angry at him for doing such a good job. Yeah. <laughs> I like him as Mr. Rogers. <laughs> Did you see that movie? Uh, yeah. Yeah. With our friend from the Americans. Yeah. <laughs> Matthew Reese. Yeah. So I don't know. I have to recommend Elvis. And I really recommend it. There's a one main reason why I recommend seeing it in the theater is that if you ever wondered why he was famous, once he starts singing on those amazing sound sp- sound systems in the movie theater, I mean, I'm getting chills just trying to tell you to go see that movie. You you will find out that he had every reason to be as famous as he was. It doesn't matter what his skin color was. He was one of the most incredible singers we've ever had. He certainly had a combination of things going for him mm-hmm. that was destined for fame. Yeah. For sure. 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 And it's just a fucking shame that there can only be like five things that make you have a good, successful living. And then to see someone like Shawn Mendes, it hasn't improved. It hasn't changed. You think about Demi Lovato, who's almost died a few times from um, substance abuse, and that this isn't changing all these years later. 
So I think in that way, it's good that the Elvis movie has been made. And um, he's going to draw a lot of people to the theater. It was completely full when I was there. I want to talk about that. That's my other fan experience. So during the movie, there was people clapping. I was so excited. It's so rare now. You're in a movie theater and you hear people clapping. And then at the end of the film, they went nuts. They went nuts when he refused, when he went on the out, outside and was playing um, evil. When um, Elvis, they, and they montage it with black and white photography so it looks like the actual documentation of that concert where he doesn't play what Colonel Tom Parker wants him to play. He plays what he wants to play and the girls go nuts and um, the audience went nuts. And when I turned around, when the film was over and they came down, it was a, it was a lot of people about probably this, probably very close, maybe a little younger than Elvis. And there was about 40 of them. And they obviously had all teamed up. Maybe they were in an Elvis club. I really wanted to talk to them. <laughs> but I, 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 did, I also didn't talk to them because it's not my business. But I really did wonder, were they in a Canadian Elvis club? Because that was all around the world, too, well, and, where you had and all also, these fans. There are a whole generation of people for whom Elvis is this name that they've heard of who was a singer back when their grandparents were around, Correct. who was really famous, right. and he did Jailhouse Rock. Yeah. Right? I mean, like, there's people who really have no sense of how explosive that mm -hmm. that was yeah. in, in terms of the huge marketing fan experience. And, right. I mean, and it's Jailhouse deal, Rock, right? again, feeding into the wild ones with Marlon Brando or James Dean as being so dangerous that you'll go to jail. That really, and yet now we have huge prison culture. But that was still like the worst thing that could ever happen to you. Now it's like a normal thing that can happen to you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I have prison in my family. Do you? Yeah. My uncle went to prison. Yeah. And apparently I went to visit him. I have a morbid fear of prison. Oh, you went to visit him in prison? Apparently. I have a morbid wow. fear of prison. I didn't find out till I was about 17 that my uncle was a bank robber. Wow. Armed robbery. I'm not bragging about that. But when my dad told me, I went, cool. <laughs> Wrong response. But then he said, well, you went to visit him in the penitentiary. All of a sudden, I went, no wonder I'm afraid of jails. I probably, I, I must have been afraid going in there as a little kid, and it's completely in my unconsciousness. I did watch the TV shows Oz, though. I loved it. But I am terrified of any prison motif in, in movies. I'll tell you our family's brush with, with outlaw fame. Um, there was a, a Canadian outlaw named, named Elvin Carpus who was known affectionately as Creepy Carpus. <laughs> That's in your family? Uh, he was a bank robber. He's not in our family. Oh. Um, and he went to jail, and he got out of jail, and he reformed himself, and he had a, uh, a, a radio show on, I believe it was CFRB Radio, mm. um, and it was all, all about um, how you can reform from doing all your bad stuff. Meanwhile, he kind of got back into the business. Uh-oh. Yeah, and, that's what you worry about. And the family story <laughs> is this. Uh. One day, my, my grandpa had a, a store. It was called the Queen City Leatherworks, but it was known as the Glove Shop. We, all, we just called it the Glove right, Shop. Right. They made gloves for the railway men in the junction in Toronto. And one day, this guy came in and he bought an entire railway engineer's outfit mm, from the, the mm. coveralls or the overalls mm. to the hat to the, the gloves and the, the work socks the whole bit so he could look like a, a, a railroad engineer okay and oh I know and, where this is when, going when he um, <laughs> this is a train robbery when, when he left my grandpa said to my dad that man ain't no railway man did you look at his hands his oh, hands like were babies. too soft yeah, yeah. Uh, I don't know who he was the next day 
I believe it was Windsor or Sarnia, (laughs) Creepy Carpus, dressed as a railroad engineer, robbed a bank, and died in a shootout. Oh, no. Um, Oh, that's a terrible ending. uh, Well, it is a terrible, it is a terrible ending, um... But apparently he apparently he was wearing a railway man's wow. um, outfit right. as his disguise right. when he when right. he robbed the bank and was was shot down. Wow. And my father swears that Creepy Carpus was in their store in the glove shop buying that outfit the day Damn. before. That's um, crazy. The day before the, That's the robbery. That's crazy. Well, my uncle is it true? Now remember, oh, the right. story it's came from, from my father, father so, so like he never let facts get in the way no. of a good story, <laughs> and so I have no idea if it's really right. true. But he swore up and down it was. <laughs> That's really funny. Well, you know, my uncle. So it was a shock. I didn't know that. I love. I adored my uncle. Oh my god, and his wife, and she waited for him to get out of prison. They were together before he went to before he had got caught bank, robbing wow. bank. He didn't just rob one bank. He rob, robbed well, several. Well, if you're going to do it, you I mean, might as well get going to the business. If you're going to do it, you might as well stay busy. So there was a kind of conflicted feeling I had as a kid because I was kind of like, cool, because I did love Jesse James and John Dillinger. My father liked the Outlaws too. Yeah. But, he, but you know, as, as much as he admired the Outlaws in a, in a, in a way that that one might admire the underdog. Right. Um, you know, like the pretty boy Floyd. Sure. That, that, that sort of they're thing. They're mindless killers. Um. He um, he also offered me this bit of advice. Son, don't steal. But if you have to steal, remember, Robin Hood was right. right. There's no point robbing the poor. Right. right? Yeah. If you're going to steal, you want to find the richest right. possible people right. to rob. Well, as you can imagine, my mother, this was a shame of her existence. And my grandmother, they never told me about it. When my parents divorced... Well, they waited years, but one of the games my parents did when they divorced was later they would tell us all the bad stories about the other one (laughs) and their family. So in my mother's family, yeah, it was her brother was a bank robber and, um, but his, his girlfriend waited for him and they were so loving. They were the best uncle and aunt on the planet. They were so loving. And then he was a Rosicrucian. The last time I saw him, he was really promoting Rosicrucianism. Yeah. And I was like, God, my family, this family, this side of the family really comes by the esotericism. (laughs) Because my mother, as you know, believed in reincarnation, UFOs. She probably believed Elvis was still alive. Have you ever seen Baba Hope Tip? It's um, by Sam Raimi. He did horror movies back in the day. I'm thinking maybe I did. I'm not sure. Yeah, well, uh, I'll remind you and you will remember. It's a senior's home, a retirement home. And actually, John F. Kennedy did not die and neither did Elvis. And it's them living in this this retirement home that gets haunted I, by Bubba Hotep. I think Hotep. I just heard of it. I didn't yeah, see it. Yeah, you got to see it. It's a really and Bruce Campbell plays Bubba Hotep. Wow. Uh, no, he plays. No, he doesn't. He plays Elvis. Why am I saying that? He plays Elvis. Um, and there's there's a few Elvis. Pers- uh, Val Kilmer plays Elvis in a sequence in True Romance by Tony Scott, and he's just looking in a mirror and being Elvis, and he's really good at it too. Well, and you know everyone wants to be Elvis. No kidding. Nick Cage plays him by jumping out of planes on an, in an Elvis club, right? Yeah. Our friend Well, Nicholas he was kind Cage. of obsessed with, with Elvis. Enough to marry Lisa Marie. I, I, my theory is just to go upstairs. Just to go upstairs and yeah. see it. Which I really wanted to go upstairs to. It was really hard not to break the walls at Graceland and go upstairs. Dying you know, the thing about home. Graceland that, that struck me yeah. is how ordinary it was. Do you mean scale? Because I think the scale is what surprised me. The that scale it was a was home not, that you could live in. Yes, it's not the, much the, bigger than this home we're sitting in. The people in, in, in my community um, <laughs> tear down bungalows to put yes, up homes that size. Yes, it's not yes. it's not that big. Yes. And um, 
it it had like tacky shag rug. It I mean it, well it tacky to you. <laughs> it didn't. It did not have the finest of furnishings. It was not that. It was not that high end. It was not that exquisite or beautiful or maybe what we would think of I, today. I, you're as, you're as, correct. It's it's not Drake's house. Right. Right. It's not um, what we're going to see maybe on on cribs or if we look at um, architectural digest. It's not like that. Or even if my Real Housewives, you know, all my reality shows with the Real Housewives of Beverly Hills, their houses are off the chain. They're ridiculous. Yes. No, this house is really. It's a, a house family. someone could live in. It's someone who's really rich. It's a family but, size. Yeah. It is rich because it's a property that's amazing. Yeah. The, he, there's acres and acres because he used to have horses and motorcycles on there. I liked all that part. I wish there was more of that too of the the Memphis mafia, his friends. Um, although I guess they didn't really save him either. I mean, they didn't weren't able to stop no. the drug addiction, and they may have been taking drugs as well. You know, um, so that part is unfortunate. And all, and you know what's sad is it wasn't even like the fun drugs. It wasn't even like he was doing mushrooms or well. You know, it'd be very interesting to, to, <laughs> to have some insight into his in his actual drug use and and what he was doing and and how much of it he was doing and how early he was doing that. it. We can find that. It would be very interesting to, yeah. to know that because we know that he was touring around with people that, by their own admission, were. You know, right. like Johnny Cash was taking loads and right, loads of right, amphetamines right. all the time. Yeah. So it sounded like he was on amphetamine. I can't say that word. On speed. And um, not so much heroin. and But he probably did take um, quaaludes to go to sleep or Valium or something. So that's what it seems like, that just horrible combination. But when he died, I think there's reports on, on the internet about how much was in him. Maybe someone will be listening and they can tell yeah. us if they know well, this. Sure, at that time. I know, but what was he doing I know in we have an authority... On Elvis that listens to this podcast. Okay. And you know who you are, Obi. <laughs> <laughs> it would be very interesting to know. I mean, was... Thank God, if my old school chum, that wasn't really my school chum, but my cousin's school chum, is listening in Kitimat, and you're still with us, and you're still collecting Elvis, please write us and tell us all about it. But I, I don't know if anyone in Kitimat is listening to this. It would be, it would be very interesting if if somebody that you knew a long time ago in Kitimat was was one of the <laughs> the uh, I want to say thousands, but maybe I should say dozens of people who have heard this <laughs> this podcast, which also suggests if you like this podcast and you're enjoying it tell your friends just tell your friends because you know we really need to have an audience if we're going to keep doing this we do and maybe we should talk about whether this should be the end of season one (laughs) maybe we should have seasons i don't know i don't know this is something that that we've been we've been talking about we've been doing this for for quite some time through a pandemic um and there are there are lots of people who listen to the podcast who really love it and want us to continue doing it um but it is you know every week we do we do do actually research yes we do um and and prepare for this i enjoy it uh and there's a lot of work involved in it and we would like to be able to grow it Mm -hmm. um it's kind of looking like we were we were starting to grow this mm-hmm, podcast, mm-hmm. and then it started to dwindle away. And we're wondering <laughs> what happened to our list. Was it something I said? Was it something it was, I said? It was probably something I said. It could be something I said. I don't know. It was we something could, we could arm wrestle about said. who's the bigger jerk. Yeah. So, um, um, but I do feel like I, I feel like I've got a list of of guests that are coming up. So I I see six episodes for sure. Do we want to discuss doing seasons and taking breaks and doing best of? I don't know. Do we need know. to do best of? So what we would like to know from you is where should we go from here in yeah. terms of the podcast? Yeah. We're feeling like we're kind of at 
perhaps a cul-de-sac where we need to somehow renew or reinvent mm. or um, do we need or to take adjust, a different direction or, or adjust or tweak? Or um, do you do we want more guests? Do we want no guests? Right. Um, what do you all like? Do you just like us chatting? Mm. Um, what's what's really interesting uh, to you folks? And um, do you know anyone who'd like to listen? Do tell them. <laughs> We obviously like listening to each other. Yes, we do that. <laughs> so much easier when we're in person. So you can so send... much easier when we're sitting next to Isn't each it other. Isn't it though? We're, you... we're interrupting less. Yes, she says interrupting you. <laughs> uh, you can you can reach us by emailing us at theagency.podcast at gmail.com. You know, just before we started recording, we went to look to our emails so that we could read oh, some yeah. on the air. Yeah. And you know, there Sad. weren't any. Wah, wah, wah. As the serial killer in um, uh, We Hunt Together would do, she would wipe her eyes and go. <laughs> so we'd like to know, where should we go from here with, uh, with the agency? And with you. Thank you very much for listening. Go see Elvis in the theater. It's so fantastic. And we'll be back at you.